I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, and I want us to begin reading this morning in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider set his mind upon whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any one of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And I want to read for you Two other verses that I forgot to print out in print that I can actually see. The last part of the text. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. For the past few weeks, our topic of discussion has been this. If I have responded to the call of grace and trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have experienced a move from the general population, from the crowd of humanity, into a group called the congregation, the church. Within the church, there are people that make a move from being part of the congregation to being committed followers of Christ. They engage at some level in what it means to be a follower. And then amongst that group of people, there are people that move towards something called the core of every church, every organization has this group of people. They're the people that if they're not around, you know they're missing. The organization, the church, the family, the environment experiences some type of weakness as a result of lacking their commitment. The challenge I've been trying to share with you over the fast, last few weeks from this passage of Scripture is every Christian should move from the crowd to the congregation to being committed to being core. That is the essence of discipleship. Ladies, God has moved you from the crowd, right, into the congregation. He wants you to be, He wants everyone in this church to be committed, and then He wants us to become vital parts of the body of Christ. He redeems us and restores us, saves us by His grace so that we can be instruments that are for the glory and honor of His name. That is His design and purpose by the Spirit. Over the last few weeks, we've described this cost-counting, Christ-following discipleship with specific words. And I added one more, so you have to tolerate me for one more word. The first word was this. Following Christ will always be inconvenient. It will always mean some reorganization or redirecting of my plans and purposes. The invitation goes to them to the dinner. And one says, well, you know what? I just bought a new tractor. Uh, I just bought a new field. I just got married. There are reasons that I can't become a core person in the body of Christ. And the challenge that Jesus gives is this. At the end of that statement, which is very, very strong, those that, move to, that don't move to the core 
should not have confidence about their conversion. Because if I am truly changed by the power of the Spirit of God, there is going to be a progressive growth in righteousness and holiness in my life. Some type of progress is indicative of life in Christ. And so the first thing that will happen, if you say yes to Christ, He is going to alter the trajectory of your life. It will mean inconvenience, sacrifice of time and effort and all kinds of things in your life. There is never a good time to follow Christ if you're waiting for a convenient time when you have just a little more or a little less, I'm sorry, on your plate. Secondly, we said this. We said the call of Christ will make you uncomfortable. The statement, unless a man hates his father and mother, makes me very uncomfortable. Now, I know it means to love less, but it means to love less in a way that alters the trajectory of our lives, makes us devoted, core, committed Christians who are the best wives, husbands, children, young ladies, young people that they could ever be because they have made a commitment to be willing to be uncomfortable. And then it is this, it is radical. The call to take up the cross is a call for ultimate categoric sacrifice. It is the relinquishing of all rights to my life, even unto death. That is, I believe, unavoidable and unmistakable in this passage of Scripture. The next thought I'd like us to look at is found in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. And then verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war. Two illustrations that give us a further understanding of what it means to be fully devoted, committed, core followers of Christ. The two analogies, one is construction, building a building. The other one is war making. One is a businessman, one is a king. And what the text puts the emphasis on this, anyone engaging in building a building, anyone thinking about going to war, is always going to sit down and calculate. It is just what it takes to do those things. They sit down and they figure out, do I have enough money? If I start this building project, do I have enough money to complete the project? Because if I don't complete it, I'm going to look stupid. Okay? What they're going to say, this fellow started the building, he doesn't have enough money. What, What was his failure? His failure was to sit down and calculate whether he had what it was going to take to complete the task. The other illustration is the illustration of a king. He's got 10,000 soldiers and the other guy has 20. That is necessarily going to cause him to sit down and think through, do I have the ability to win this war? And if I don't, I'm going to alter the trajectory of my plan. Okay, that's the clear implication of this text. In both cases, what is the individual doing that sits down? Okay, the word is he is considering, he is setting his mind upon the task with the aim of calculating... What will obedience cost? What will completing the building cost? What will winning this war cost? Now, folks, here I think is the clear implication. The word I'm going to give you is this. Christ following will always be costly. It will always be costly. If your following of Christ has never cost you anything, please hear me. You are not following Christ. Okay, if it has never inconvenienced you, made you uncomfortable, appear to be radical, and cost you something, it is not what Jesus is talking about. You may know him, you may know him intellectually, you may know him personally. 
But true Christ followers have sat down and calculated what is it going to mean to follow Christ. The clear implication, I think, is this. There is no Christ following without cost counting. None. If I'm going to devote my life to Christ, I need to sit down and say, okay, stop messing around. Are you serious about giving your all for the one who experienced the supreme inconvenience for you, who became incredibly uncomfortable and was thought by his own disciples to be radical in his death? If you were unwilling to sit down and say, okay, Lord, I am willing to take up my cross to deny myself and follow you. It is likely that you will start down the path that everybody else is on because there's a crowd moving in that direction. But what you will find out over time is the crowd begins to thin because the demands of discipleship are costly. They are uncomfortable. They are radical. It is expensive to follow Christ. Now, we live in a culture that is trying to say that there is an inexpensive following of Christ. And I think the church needs to stand up today more than ever and say, it is time for the body of Christ to get serious about the nature of Christian living. You're not going to survive in this culture if you have a weak, anemic form of Christ following. If you have a form of Christ following that has never cost you anything measurable, you have a couple questions to ask yourself. Number one, and I, and I just, please understand how I say this. Do not assume that you are converted because you paid a prayer. Conversion will always be evidenced in some type of change. Some type of sense that something in my life is not right. If you've never felt that pinch when you hear the word of God taught, do not assume that you know God personally. When he comes, he comes not as a gentleman. He comes as Lord. And our culture has talked a lot about God as a gentleman. I heard this in India. It makes my skin crawl. God is a gentleman. He will not invade your life. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. He does not come as your servant. Even though he came in that form, he comes as Lord. And he calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to an altered life that doesn't crave convenience. He calls us to a hard life. Carmel, I don't know why I put this in my notes. You're getting married? That's a hard life. Okay? When you find out what God expects of you in premarital counseling with me, okay, you're going to want to quit. And we're not going to let you. Okay? It's, look, everything you commit to that's worthwhile, every, your relationship with Christ will cost you. Your relationship to your wife, if you're going to be a Christ-like husband, it's going to cost you. There is no joyful living apart from sacrifice and cost. You know what makes the Olympics great? It's the story about the person who has sacrificed so much, who has counted the cost and would not give up. And when they win, you know what happens? You have a spontaneous joy along with them because you are so happy for them. You're not happy for the naturally talented athlete like Terrell Owens. He brings no joy. Mr. Rice, the player for the 49ers who worked his tail off to be the best, you know what? It's like, you know, kudos to you. I'm happy for you. Right? He wasn't even on the Eagles, and I'm still happy for him. Okay? When you sign up for Christ following, there is an inherent implied cost. Are you willing to pay it? Are you willing to pay it? John chapter 12 
has a stunning statement. John 12, verse 42 and 43. In fact, you can turn back to John because I'm going to spend the rest of my time in some verses from there. John chapter 12. This theme in Luke 14 of great crowds following Christ was also true in the Gospel of John. They followed Christ. They watched his miracles. Even some of the religious leaders, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, following Christ. John chapter 12, the religious leaders are following Christ. Verse 42, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise from men more than the praise from God. And folks, here's what I believe about that kind of believing. They believed in him, but they would not confess him publicly. Here's what I believe. They intellectually understood Christ. They, intellect, they saw the miracles. Right? I told you a few weeks ago, there were times that they went into the synagogue to see if he would do the miracle on the wrong day to condemn him on a technicality. They knew what he was doing. And in that sense, they believed in him. You may be here this morning and say, Pastor Tim, I believe in Jesus. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. But you have not trusted him. You haven't experienced sacrificial, life-altering faith in your heart and been truly converted by the power of God. And you have a weak, costless Christianity that is not affecting your life or changing your world. This group of people don't come to Christ truly because they love the praise of men. And when you read through the Gospels, you find Jesus saying this. The Pharisees love to walk through the temple in their long robes and have people say, Rabbi, leader, teacher. They love that. And we're unwilling to give that up to follow Christ. That is amazing. But I would suspect that there are some of us here this morning who love the praise of men and don't want to be seen as a radical Christian. I met a guy last week. It was out with my friend. Met a guy and Given the circumstances, I played the trump card, okay? I said, oh, we're both pastors with Harry Stalker. I said, we're both pastors. This is the one guy said to me. He said, I'm a born-again Christian. This is out of the blue. I was like, oh, so are we. Met a guy at my house the other day, uh, contractor kind of guy. He's six foot four. I said, man, I said, you are big. You're really big. This partner was my size. I said, you are big. One guy said to me, oh, are you a priest? So, not last time I checked, I wasn't. I said, actually, I'm a pastor of a, and I just, I didn't put it out there. I'm pastor of a born-again church. The six-foot-four guy looks at me and says, I'm, I'm a born-again Christian. <laughs> Unashamed in front of this partner who was his boss. Folks, here's the bottom line. If you want respectable Christianity, there is no true Christianity that is respectable in the world that you live in. If you crave the approval of people and are willing to pay that price, Jesus is saying, you can't follow me. You've got to sit down and count the cost and say, am I in earnest and serious? For the young people in our church family, for the young, beautiful ladies and young men in our church, the young men are beautiful, but they're nice. For them, the challenge to be a Christian in school is strong. In college, it will be threatening 
and overwhelming if you were not devoted to cost counting and Christ following. And it's why many Christian young people abandon the faith because they want to be accepted. And they live craving the approval that one day will not matter. You know what Jesus said? He said, don't fear him who can kill the body. I don't like that. He's going to go stronger. Don't fear the one that can kill the body. Pharisees, leaders of the law, don't fear the person who can put you out of the city, who can de-synagogue you, put you out of your social... Don't fear that person. Fear the one who can cast both body and soul into hell. And for that reason, count the cost. There are many people that don't come to Christ because they simply want to be nuanced and well-respected in their culture. They won't want to be seen as a fringe individual. They want to be part of the main text in life. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you're unwilling to live on the fringe, if you're unwilling to be on the margin of the page, you can't follow me. Because Jesus Christ, by his commitment and by his teaching, marginalized himself. Not intentionally. It's just in our culture what truth will do. It will marginalize you. It will make you feel less appreciated. And you will be less respected by the secular culture. Are you willing to pay the price? Test. Does anybody in your workplace know that you're a Christian? Because you love the praise of men, don't you? We're just like them. Does anybody in your neighborhood, you've been there 10, 15, 5, 20 years. Does anybody know? Because we love the praise of men. We love it. There's no Christ following without cost counting. I ask myself, and I'm just going to do this point today, okay? So I'll relieve you. Just put your notes aside. Or I asked myself this question in Indonesia four weeks ago. As I interacted with a pastor who had baptized 500 people in his dining room, built a tile pool to baptize new believers, Pastor Ahihan, I don't even know his last name, lived in his house for five days. I have no idea what his last name is. But I will never forget him. You go out the front driveway. I was not allowed to leave the house, meaning go out front. Because right there was a mosque. And in Banji, Indonesia, you don't evangelize people with the good news of Christ without a price. I was living in the house of a man who, in my mind, is a modern apostle who has counted the cost, left his business, has started a Chinese Christian church in downtown Banji. That's fine. But when you start to take the gospel to the people that aren't non-Christian or well, when you start taking it to the Islamic population in that country, guess what happens? I found out on the plane sitting next to a police officer who was a federal police officer in Malaysia. I was on Malaysian Airlines. I was reading the paper. I read about caning. People that had lived together, caned, under Sharia law, Islamic court. I was stunned. I looked at the guy sitting beside me and I said, are you from Malaysia? He said, yeah. I said, is this true? Does this really happen today? He said, yeah. I said, what if, 
He didn't know who I was, what I, what I was going there for. I said, what if someone who is Islamic and lives under the Sharia law, which is 65% of people in Malaysia today, what if they convert? Stone cold. I mean, we had a, we had a cordial relation. He said they would be Cain. And I ask him a lot of questions. You live in Malaysia and you come to Christ, it's going to cost you. We're so used to cost-free Christian living. We're so used to promoting cost-free Christian living. You know what the result is? Weak conversions that have not altered the trajectory of people's lives. Because in many cases, there's a lack of saving faith. That scares me as a pastor. Pastor Alhian is going to leave his church of 500 people that grew in six years, and he baptized every one of them in his dining room. He's going to leave that church in the hands of the elders. You know why? He wants to waste his life. And I mean, I, I mean that in the best sort of way. He wants to waste his life to reach the people in Banji, Indonesia, a city of four million that don't know Christ. You know how he's going to do it? He's going to start a church planting movement by the grace of God. Folks, here's what, here's what I feel. Okay, I was in that guy's house. Here's the question I asked myself. Am I ready to pay the ultimate price? Or do I love the approval of men? And as a result, live an unaltered life that in no way resembles the life of my Savior who took up his cross and dead on went all the way to change my life. You see, cost-free Christianity isn't even satisfying. Let's just be honest. The church in America is anemic. Many, many lives in our church are anemic. They, they lack the power of the infilling of the Spirit because we haven't counted the cost of having Him invade our lives and said, Lord, I am willing. May God help us. Look yourself in the mirror and say this, I love the approval of men. And that is the reason I am silent about what matters most. I don't want to be de-synagogued. I want to be part of the well-nuanced, well-educated, respected crowd. Why do you think I went to seminary? challenging myself with this lately i have an eight-year degree that's like 96 hours of postgraduate work why because i was told that would get me respect and i wanted respect i wanted to be well educated so i took six years of greek so i could say that and i hope you appreciate it <laughs> i really do that was a killer I look back now and I'm saying, I am way overeducated. And here's my heart lately is, what if God wants to cut you free? And Lucas, you remember me talking to you about this when I first met you. What if God wants to cut you free and have you engage with people in your workplace or in your neighborhood and have you lead a house church? What would that be like? Well, I don't have a degree. I used to think you needed one. I don't believe that today. I believe we should train people 
but I believe that there are many people in this church who have enough Bible knowledge to lead somebody else in being a Christ follower. But I know that I pastor a church full of people who have never even thought of doing it because their pastor has never challenged them to say, what if? What if? Okay, I didn't talk to the elders about this. Sorry, guys. But you know what? It's time for us to ask, what if? What if people that don't have a graduate degree in theology thought that God could fill them and use them to change the world? Jesus thought that could happen. And so he called fishermen like Ahian. He was a fisherman who was incredibly successful at 33 years old, had trollers in the ocean, and he sold it all. Now, I'm not, I'm going to tell you this, he's going back into the workforce. You know why? Because he lost his sphere of influence. He's going back into the workforce to challenge people to come to know Christ and then to go out and make a difference starting house churches in their community. Because you don't want to start a public church amongst Islamic people in Banji, India, or in Malaysia. You don't want to do that. So you have to start to believe in people. And here's the question I started asking myself. Are there men and women in our church that are qualified, that have enough knowledge to lead people to Christ and go out in their world and make a difference? My answer is yes. Yes. But I know what you do. You look at me as the pastor. You see my degree and you think, because of me and it's my fault, you think you have to have that to make a difference. You don't. You don't. I don't need my degree to be a pastor. I'm proud of my degree and my flesh. But you don't need it. You know what you need? You need a willing heart. You need a heart that's willing to count the cost and say, what if? What if I started to open my mouth at work? What if I really started to live the kingdom? What if I got away from thinking that building God's kingdom is about confronting people with the gospel of Christ and started engaging in their life on a daily basis with the hope that one day I may be able to invite them to come to my house for a time of fellowship, for a time of studying the word of God that I would lead. I don't even have to invite the pastor. You're kidding. No, I'm dead serious. What if? What if men in this church started to stand up and say, you know what, I live 25 minutes from here. I could get together a small group study in my neighborhood. Here's the other thought that God put on my heart yesterday talking to a friend. We, we talk about having a children's ministry, and I hope one day in the church we do, but here's what came into my mind. What if a mom was like a rebellious woman who wanted to start a children's ministry in her neighborhood where people know her and trust her? They're nervous in our culture, and understandably so, about taking their kids to a building with people they don't know. Why do we have to do it that way? I'm just saying, okay? What if we shattered the paradigm? Not to be maverick, okay? Because God doesn't use or need mavericks. God needs willing people. So I'm just asking the question, what if? That's going to mean cost. You know what? That, that, could, that could threaten how many people come to our church from Blairstown because they may end up going to another church. They may end up starting their own house church. And that wouldn't build home base. That would make me look bad. All right, I'm going to tell you something. Pretty sure I'm over that. 
pretty sure I'm over that. You want to join in the work of the kingdom. It's going to change your life. It's going to make you so uncomfortable because some of you are thinking around if my elders are mad at me right now. I'm not going to look at them. Oh, I, we don't want to be uncomfortable in the church. We don't want to think about new stuff. We want to think about going back to the biblical model. We have our own model. What if? What if you said to Christ today, you know what, Lord? It's all brand new. And the pastor just messed with my head. I didn't even plan to say this to you today. I've thought about this a lot lately, but I did not plan to say this to you today. I'll give you this challenge. Would you say to God, what if you wanted me to invite some friends at work to come to a Bible study before work? What if you wanted me to put up a, a placard that says, Steve Adams, I'm going to use you because I talked to you about this. Steve Adams is hosting a Bible study at Johnson & Johnson. And he is not qualified. <laughs> he has a PhD, but it's not in theology. He should not be doing this, but what if what if what if and Lucas I'll use you as an illustration okay Lucas lives down and and Marissa they live down in Clinton what if they got to know some of their neighbors because they say this is not about evangelism this is about the kingdom of God this is about knowing Christ and making him known what if in their townhouse they invited some friends over because they're both good looking and connect well with people. Okay? But I said, God, maybe you want to use us to, and they're newlyweds too, so they're really happily married, okay? What if they, people are looking at them and they're saying, man, they're really neat, they're this, that, and that. What if they said, you know what? God's given us, and I think Lucas, he's given you this, okay? An ability to connect with people. You're respected. And I stand in your way. Okay? And I don't mean just you, I mean this for everybody. Lucas, look at me like, why am I here this morning? Because God wants you here, okay? I'm just saying, what if you did? All right, you've grown up in the church. I'm just, there are a lot of Lucases in our church. There are a lot of young ladies like Topeka in New Delhi, India, who heard a challenge from Victor John a year and a half ago at 16 and a half years old. What if Topeka, what's her name? What if you started to go out and evangelize in your sphere of influence. Don't invite them to the church. This is heresy to me. Okay. Don't invite your friends to the church. Invite them into your house. Because you know what? They don't want to come here. They think we're weird. Because they've met your pastor. <laughs> but they know you. And if you've been living a godly life, they're curious. Not all of them, but some. And the same, what if? That's why I'm doing the Bible study on Tuesday nights, because here's what I believe. I believe every man and woman in this church can break forth the word of life. Maybe everyone's not called to be a leader in a church, house church or something of that nature, but, but, you may come alongside someone else and say, you know, some of you might go over to Lucas after church and say, hey, Lucas, if you want to do that, we'll join you. And as a pastor, you know what I'd say? I wouldn't say good riddance. <laughs> I'd say, God bless you. And I would say, we'll do everything we can to train you and bring you up to speed so that you can make a difference. We'll just simply disciple you. 
with the conviction that the ministry does not need to be done by professionals. It needs to be done by cost-counting, sacrificial followers of Jesus who believe that the Spirit of God empowers people to, think about this, to do ministry. And he doesn't want it all done here on Sunday morning, which is what most of us think. We say, you need to get involved. You need to move to the core. You think I'm talking about this. Okay, there are many things that we should and could do here. We have a lot of wonderful, faithful, sacrificial servants in this church. I'm just trying to push you out of the nest a little bit. Okay, and I'm just asking the question. Okay, what would happen? My challenge to you this morning is this. Would you pray? Would you say, God, if you touch my heart and challenge me to take my sphere of influence and do something with it, this church could have a children's ministry. Oh, this church could have a really strong children's ministry. Some ladies, some men said, you know what? They know us. They don't know people at church. They trust us. I thought of this last night. You know what I thought? Actually, I was at the gym because we have cold water, so I was at the gym taking my shower in the shower. I'm thinking. First thing I thought was, God, thank you for hot water. Okay? First thing I thought. But the second thing I was thinking was this. That opportunity for us is gone. That window when our kids were little and everybody in the neighborhood was little, there was a long line at the bus, it's gone. You know why? Because I was waiting for our church to have a children's ministry. My question to you is this, is that okay? You got to wait for a building to be the body of Christ? I think the answer is, you know what? No. What if some young people in our church started thinking, you know what, it's nice having Pastor Tim help us out with junior high youth. It's nice having uh, Jason Runyon help out with the younger people and Kristen's going to start helping out with the senior high group. That's nice. Let's get radical. What if some young people in our church said, I could be like Topeka. Oh, here's the finishing of the story of Topeka. I didn't finish this. ADD? Back? Okay. She has discipled 18 people and baptized them. Has two house church small groups that she is leading at 18 years old. Now, I'm just saying, okay, what if? This is what I ran to or into overseas, and I have come back, I want to say changed, okay? But it's too early. It's too early for me to know if I'm really changed because I grew up in a model. It doesn't look a lot like the Bible, but I follow it very well. And just want to challenge you to start to think. What if I started to see my workplace as what it is? A mission field where God placed me. Corey, you're well respected in your workplace. God's given you a sphere of influence. I'm just saying to someone like you, what if you started asking God, what, what if God wanted me to take what you've learned over the last three years as a new Christian? Here's what the church says. Oh no, he's too young in Christ. You can't, you can't trust him with the Bible. I mean, yeah, he has the Holy Spirit, but he can get something wrong. And fear binds us and kills what God is prompting you to do. And that is, I know, Corey, I, I know you well enough to know you want to make a difference. You're just wondering if it's, are you allowed to? Okay, I want to tell you this morning, you're allowed to. Okay, and you don't need my approval or the approval of the elder board in our church to go make a difference. You just need to be willing to give up some of the approval of men. Because when Steve Adam puts that placard up on the bulletin board, some people, I didn't know you were one of them. 
And I, here's what people say to me, are you? And they're always trying to be nuanced and careful. Are you? Like one of those, and I'm bold, so born-again Christians? Like, yes. Yes. I love the approval of people, so I nuance it. I de-radicalize it. And I make Christ less appealing. You see, if I'm willing to put it out there and just say, let it stand. Yes, I am a born-again Christian who believes that unless someone is born again in the words of Jesus, that you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. I want to nuance that a little bit and make myself, you know, yeah, but I have an eight-year degree, so it's rational. I have a respectable faith. You know what? Jesus doesn't call us to respectable faith. You can't find it in Scripture. It's not there. It will change you. It will alter the trajectory of your life. And ladies, maybe you take this challenge and say, you know what? Filled with the Spirit of God and with the promise of Christ who is able to keep you from falling. What if? What if? But if Walter Huffington said, hey, we want one of our goals to be to train ladies who go out of here to start small groups in their sphere of influence, working with drug addicts who are recovering as you shared with us in Sunday school. Don't just get them out of it. Lead them into it in Christ. Just, what if? Okay, this happened in a group called City Team, headquartered in California. It's a nonprofit organization. $13 million a year flows through that organization run by Christians. God touched their hearts to say, what if we take this flow of money that comes in and helps people in recovery. What if we envisioned recovered men and women going out of here to start churches in the inner city? And they bought it. You know what else happened? They lost half their board because they didn't want to pay the price. Who asked, what would that do with our fundraising? Who cares? Who cares? Why don't we just get radical about obedience? Why don't we just get uncomfortable for a little bit about obedience? Why don't we say, if I'm going to follow Christ, there's, there's going to be a cost involved. 